and gentlemen. Hello again, and welcome back to Don't Worry About the Government, episode 520, the Open Lines edition. This is the second launch of the room. The first launch of the room was absolute utter chaos. So what I did is I threw up the room in Twitter, and when I did so, <laughs> when I did so, I got deluged with, I don't know, like 10 room crashers or more in the waiting room, which I had disabled. So they just all came into the stream and there's like techno music and stuff. I had stepped away from the computer and I turned off the mic and turned off the camera. So like, it wasn't particularly weird, but like there was an old couple there. There was there was a bunch of people. It was like essentially what Chesterfield Cad's doing right now. Just a bunch of people crashing into the scene here, crashing into the picture. So I realized that there's uh, some purpose to the waiting room in these type of episodes, and that apparently there are people who now stalk on Twitter and try to crash Zoom calls. I guess that's fun. It makes sense. It wouldn't be fun for me, but I get how some people might find it fun. Anyways, this is the Open Lines edition. It is 8 o'clock-ish Central Time as I'm starting this episode here. No one is here as of yet, so we're going to get into a little bit of the news of the day. And, and there is certainly enough news of the day to get into here that will keep us vamping for at least a few minutes here. First and foremost, I guess let's go and talk about Israel. Israel and Palestine. We don't do a ton on the week-to-week blow-by-blow. You guys generally know the tune of what's going on over there in Israel and Palestine. The Israelis are slowly over time. I have been for the last 10 years since I've been doing this, but long before that, taking more and more slices of uh, what was Palestine. And Palestine is divided into two different areas, governed by two different groups. It's confusing. There's conflict. There's an embargo as to what can go into Palestine. The Palestinians are not living under their own sovereignty at this point. They are allowed as much freedom as the Israelis are willing to afford them. And that's not a great situation. And every so often violence flares up. Now, one of the things that you can't help but notice when you are looking at the American news coverage this time is is American news coverage always focuses on Hamas. So, like, this is the NPR copy. The NPR copy starts with Hamas here. Uh, the original headline, and this is why I clicked on it, was 30 Palestinians, 3 Israelis reported dead as violence increases. The updated headline was Hamas rockets hit Tel Aviv as Israeli airstrikes on Gaza continue. So who started it? Who struck first? The original copy at least focuses on the dead, which is much more respectful. Uh, The second one focuses on Hamas first, and then, oh, by the way, there are also Israeli airstrikes, but when we mention Hamas first, it sort of implies that the military airstrikes are somehow more legitimate. Um, And, of course, the basic implication that it's right and fine that the Israelis can do a bombing campaign in Palestinian territory because the Palestinian territory is not actually their territory. Israel warned that airstrikes in Gaza would continue over the coming days as at least 30 Palestinians and three Israelis were reported killed amid the rising cross-border violence sparked by clashes in Jerusalem. A confrontation on Friday between Israeli police and Palestinian demonstrators in the Al-Aqsa Mosque, or Aqsa? I, I, I do not know the name, Mosque compound in Jerusalem's old city has escalated rapidly since the weekend, leaving Israelis and Palestinians alike bracing for more violence as the holy month of Ramadan comes to a close this week. Over the last two days, Palestinian militants fired hundreds of rockets from Gaza towards Jerusalem and coastal Israeli cities, including Tel Aviv. Israel has responded with scores of airstrikes it's said are targeting militants in Gaza. Israeli officials said they are preparing to expand the offensive. Two Israelis were killed Tuesday when rockets struck two houses in the port city of Ashkelon. Another rocket hit an empty school that had been ordered closed during the risk of strikes. A rocket barrage Tuesday night killed a third Israeli in the Tel Aviv suburb of Holon. Israel's international airport halted arrivals during the rocket fire. 
Some rockets have been intercepted by the Israeli army missile defense system, while others fell short and landed within Gaza. Addressing the country Tuesday night, let's say embattled Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu said that Gaza militants would pay a heavy price for the rocket fire. Early Tuesday morning, Israeli warplanes and drones conducted at least 130 airstrikes over Gaza. Officials with the Israeli Defense Force said that they targeted operatives from Hamas and Islamic Jihad, killing 15, including the chief of Islamic Jihad's special rocket unit. Health officials in Gaza said at least 30 have been killed by the strikes, some of them militants, but also civilians and at least 10 children. More than 150 Palestinians have been injured. Um, now, let's see if we can get this. The recent round of violence, this is several paragraphs in here. The recent round of violence erupted after weeks of tension in Jerusalem, where Israeli police had routinely confronted Palestinian protesters, mostly around the mosque compound in the old city. The mosque is an area known to the Muslims as Haram al-Sharif, or the Noble Sanctuary, and to the Jews as the Temple Mount. Anti-Arab Jewish gangs have contributed to the unrest attacking groups of Palestinians. Now, how many paragraphs into this? You get two different pictures before we ever get into the fact that most of this antagonism has been created by anti-Arab Jewish gangs uh, and Israeli police confronting Palestinian protesters, which sounds a lot like sort of the Proud Boys of Israel and their police you know, their equivalents. So, yeah, the Israeli police have been using stun grenades, rubber-coated bullets, and water cans to disperse the growing crowds of demonstrators. The Palestinian Red Crescent Emergency Medical Service said that more than 1,000 Palestinians have been injured since Friday with hundreds hospitalized. Roughly a dozen Israeli police officers have been hurt, so... The power disparity seems a little bit imbalanced here. And for the Biden administration's part, you are not getting much of a condemnation of Israel. We're getting a lot of both sides here. But what, what is important and is at least somewhat captured in the NPR copy is that this isn't really a both sides thing. The Israelis have been antagonizing um, in the case of their Jewish Proud Boys, uh, in the case of their cops. But also in this longer term encroachment into Palestinian territory through settlement process, right? So one of the problems, of course, whenever a story like this comes up is that there is at the same time here in the United States, speaking of the Proud Boys, a very real issue of anti-Semitism here in the United States. You have... The Proud Boys saying things like Jews will not replace us in Charlottesville. So you have that going on at the same time as you have Israel, the nation state and the Israeli government being the bad guy in their story. Uh, I'm not going to use any sort of anguished or perhaps even tired metaphors. I'm just going to try to call it as it is. They're not the good guy here. They're, they they have been sort of solidly the bad guy throughout and i know that even saying it like that is controversial but look uh the palestinians are not taking more and more israeli land right no one would dispute that no one is making the argument that over the last 50 years slowly but surely the palestinians have been making israel smaller and smaller and giving them fewer and fewer land right you never hear that even the israelis aren't so bold as to argue that that tells you a lot about the contours of this debate when it really stands, when you sort of clear out a lot of the dust. It's unfortunate, of course, that you can't get something stronger from the Biden administration on this. But what do you really expect from the Biden administration? Anthony Blinken, even in his college days, was uh, a classic neo-foreign policy guy. I, I, so, I like dead set in between neoconservatism and neoliberalism. The end of history, 1990s foreign policy. Anthony Blinken is absolutely a byproduct of that. He says, we're very focused on the situation in Israel, West Bank and Gaza, very deeply concerned about the rocket attacks we're seeing now. 
that they need to stop. They need to stop immediately. It's all about the rocket attacks with Anthony Blinken. Um, so making it very clear where his priorities are, are laying in this case. Um, it's, it's a rather troubling and sort of depressing state of affairs over there right now in Israel. Um, and I don't really see any meaningful sign of abatement. Uh, you need to have this government fail. Netanyahu's government needs to be ousted from power. And part of that's going to require public sentiment of the Israeli people to turn against this sort of action. I mean, similarly, where are the Palestinians going to be getting their rhetorical support for their sovereignty campaign? In this new multipolar world that we live in, it's not particularly clear. Uh, their best bet, frankly, still remains the Americans. And I'm not saying that as like a let's go team, but let's kind of consider the alternatives. You have the Chinese. The Chinese are not exactly Muslim friendly. Uh, I think we're seeing that. Go and ask some of the Uyghurs in East Turkestan. They don't really care for them. The Russians, not exactly Muslim friendly. Uh, you have perhaps the Iranians, but a, a number of the Middle Eastern powers have been there. If they were going to help, they would have helped, and they're not helping. So what does that tell you about what their intentions are and where they kind of lay in the land here? It is a complicated situation in Israel, um, but what needs to happen just doesn't seem to be on the cusp of happening. I suspect how this will play out is there'll be conflict. There'll probably be a massacre in Palestine of a hundred plus people. Hopefully that will, their hope, I'm not, I'm not saying hopefully their hope will be that that sort of carnage will diminish the, uh, want to continue fighting and sort of break the world to continue fighting. It probably will not to be bleak about this, but, just tends to be the case when these sorts of things has been over the last 20 years. Uh, it's why we don't talk about it more on the show. I've been asked about, it. why don't you do more on Israel and Palestine? What do you want? You know, what do you want the angle? There's no fresh angle. Uh, the freshest angle I've got on Israel and Palestine comes from some other documentaries that I've been watching that have nothing to do with Israel and Palestine. So let me take a sip of water. I'm going to tell you, how Israel is like Skidmore, Missouri. Yeah, baby. We're getting into it here. That's folksy, right? Yeah, we're going to talk about Missouri. Mm. All right. So, Skidmore, Missouri. If you have never been to Skidmore, you are missing out, people. I'm missing out too, but you are as well. Skidmore, Missouri is not known for a whole heck of a lot other than this very mysterious murder that occurred in the early 1980s wherein a person was killed in broad daylight in front of over 40 plus witnesses and the authorities, the federal government, the local authorities, nobody could get the people of the town to admit as to who pulled the trigger, who killed this guy, why, anything. Uh, I mean, we know who was killed. There are any number of reasons why this, excuse me, people, any number of reasons why this person might have been killed, but this person gets killed, broad daylight, and... They never kind of get an arrest. Now, what's interesting about the town, and this is something that sort of haunts them to this day, is that after that murder of that sort of by any recollection, bad dude, uh, rape, spousal abuse, uh, you name fighting, you, you name it. This guy was a bad guy by sort of any objective measure, sort of really in any time too. like he would have been the type of guy who would have gotten killed in the 1800s too, or the 1700s. Like one of those dudes, a very, very bad guy. 
Um, however, after doing that and keeping it a secret, uh, things started to happen, which was more murders. Uh, Skidmore is a pretty small town. Their murder rate is pretty darn high, considering the fact that they're so small. And in watching the documentaries, kind of what you start to think about is that this event, this carnage event, um, this kind of collective immorality started to warp the actual psyche and the character of the town. So the town and the people in it started to all have to keep this terrible secret. And it was the only way to keep their society going. Uh, that no one could ever, ever break the word. Everyone just had to take it to the grave. Um, and, and the hope was that maybe, you know, the people who knew the real truth could take it to the grave and maybe the kids could live on and be free of the sin. And maybe the sin of the father would die with the father. Um, but we know how this sort of works. The sins of the father get passed on, not directly necessarily. So you keep the secret, but it still changes you. It makes you a less good person. It makes you a less good father, less good mother. Um, and it raises kids to, you know, have bad parents, an entire town of bad parents, an entire town of secrets, um, secrets that need to be kept, secrets that need to be kept with serious consequences. And sometimes more people are showing up dead. It is like Israel in this sense that not really looking at the Palestinian situation for what it is and what it is becoming um, and what it has become really over the last 30, 40 years here. I mean, really, since the end of the 1967 conflict, um, if they had just stuck to the 67 lines, right? If they had just stopped, uh, that would have made such a difference. And it's turned into something much, much uglier now. And the Biden administration doesn't really want to deal with it. Democratic Party politics doesn't really have a space for this conversation. It's a nuanced conversation. The person in the party most eager to have that conversation, Ohan Omar, is perhaps uh, not the best equipped to have that conversation. Uh, I'd rather it be led by someone like Rashida Tlaib, for example. Um, but yeah, uh, it, it's a complicated situation. It really is. I, I, not to be reductive about it, but you have, I, I mean, what's the meaningful way of putting pressure on Israel? They have nuclear weapons. It's not like the United States can really threaten them. Um, it's not even really like the United States can isolate them. Uh, Netanyahu is fairly comfortable with like Putin, for example. Um, he's not above, you know, having that kind of association. Netanyahu's not above having that kind of association with the Chinese. Um, the Israelis are actually probably better positioned to have relationships with the other major powers in the world, uh, whether it's Europe, whether it is Russia or China, than the Palestinians are. So, you know, we don't have as many cards to play on Israel as we once did, um, in no small part because we gave them Iron Dome. We gave them nuclear technology. Uh, we gave them a lot of great military technology. And these things have consequences. Um, and you'd hope that in exchange for those favors, you could get things back. Um, and we do, but it also sometimes seems like not as much as perhaps, uh, as perhaps as the asymmetry of the relationship maybe would suggest. Like, you know, if I own 70% of a company and you own 30% of a company, I should be getting 70% of the profits. You should be getting 30% of the profits. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. All right, um, let's move on. I, I don't have much more to say about Israel. Um, they they should stop doing what they're doing. Maybe this Yair Lapid will become the prime minister. I don't know. That's going to really change anything here. But uh Israel's president picked Lapid to form a government, I guess. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Um, moving on. We have 
this gas pipeline. This is kind of interesting. The gas pipeline runs down the East Coast and it transports about 45% of the East Coast fuel supply. The Colonial Pipeline shut down all of its operations Friday after dark side hackers broke into some of the networks. In a statement, DarkSide, who is a new player to the ransomware space, believed to be operated by a Russian cybercrime gang affiliate by the same name, said it wasn't to blame and suggested that an affiliate may have been behind the attack. The group promised to do a better job of screening customers that buy its malware to run ransomware attacks. Uh, the letter is actually quite funny. It like, tries to act like, a, oh, no, we're a moral company. Yes, we do ransomware so that you can ransom people for money with their own data. But, like, you know, we're not trying to get into politics. Biden, meanwhile, is expected to sign an executive order to strengthen cybersecurity for federal agencies and contractors. So... On one hand, you have the Republican response to this and the asymmetry of how eager they are to respond to lancing at Russian shadows. Oh, are Russian attacks all of a sudden real now that they're affecting gas pipelines? Hmm. There's another thing, too, though. Uh, I'm sure some of you are probably saying at the radio already, a beat ahead of me, smart audience, uh, is, hey, Weren't the Russians or somebody trying to attack things like power plants and pipelines during the Trump administration and doing test runs on that? Yeah. Uh, so we already have the first one of these. And, and right now it's maybe just a benign little whoopsie doopsies by an innocent little malware company. Maybe. I'm not convinced of that. Are you convinced of that? I wouldn't be convinced of that. One other thing to talk about here, three Republican governors are cutting uh, enhanced unemployment benefits to their states in order to force people to return to work. Arkansas, Montana, and South Carolina have, target, have targeted the extra $300 a week in jobless benefits um, at, to help businesses reopen. Um, there are a number of places that are complaining about uh, oh, well, with the enhanced unemployment benefits of $300, remember, Manchin got the package cut from 400 down to 300 Good on you, Joe. But with those enhanced benefits, which is 1200 on a national level, plus whatever the state level unemployment is, that's just simply too much unemployment for people. People aren't going back to work because wages are too low. It's not, I mean, not even remotely being considered for a second that 30K a year is not actually all that much money, especially in most states. I mean, even here in Texas, 30K a year, let me tell you, does not go as far as people think it does. Uh, it, it, just, it goes pretty fast once you start having to pay bills, you got to start paying for insurance. I, I, it's expensive to live. Um, and that really is pretty darn close to the minimum wage of like, what would it could reasonably be? I, I would say the absolute minimum, like in most States, like, like the, the poorest is like 28 K a year. Um, and in States like California, it's probably got to be closer to 35, 36 K. Um, and that'd be minimum, um, in States like California. The other part of that though, um, obviously, uh, and I think, uh, the person who wrote in about the minimum wage proposed this and we're in vigorous agreement on at least that one point is, is that some of this has to be picked up by the States like California and New York continue to have an exorbitant cost of living. And that can't entirely be on the federal government. The federal government needs to provide some baseline amount of unemployment. And then the state has to pick up the other half, like kind of like what you're seeing right now with this unemployment plan, which is in many ways, very well designed. Uh, if, if I do say so, um, I actually kind of like it. I, I, I like this model a lot and would love to see this happen more in times of economic crises. Um, hopefully they will keep doing this in the future. But yeah, uh, governors are cutting these benefits. Republican governors are cutting these benefits to try to get people to go back to work, not trying to raise their wages, um, not trying to even incentivize employers to raise their wages. I mean, an easy answer, like, what got me off of unemployment? Well, I got to a point where 
I could make more money working than while on on unemployment. So I decided to do that. It's it's not really that hard. It really isn't. Um, but it is it is certainly an issue. WHO reclassified the highly contagious triple mutant COVID-19 variant spreading in India as a variant of concern. This is B1617. It spreads more easily than the original virus. It might be able to evade vaccines. It's going through India. Yeah. Like, this India situation is... I mean, like here, I'm, I'm going to get it up since uh, y'all are leaving me hanging. I, I'm really, I'm out here trying. But uh, since we are out here and vamping here for just a minute, let me get up this video of the clown. I, I know, I know this, this sounds funny, but I've got a, a few videos here that really, None of them are funny to me. Like, like I, I just want to make that really, really clear as I'm about to share these. I think, like, part of your brain, especially if you listen to this show and you share my sense of humor, is going to want to go to the laugh mechanism. But, like, I just want to relay before I even put on the clips, like, that, that these videos depress me. Um, they make me very, very sad uh, because... There is simply not a lot of hope right now other than like wishing. Um, so the, it's going to be depressing here in a second in anticipation of that. Why it's shadow. What's going on shadow? How's it going? How are you doing homie? I know. I love you, pal. Yes, I do. You're a good little cat. Yeah. All right. So now I'm going to share the screen here. All right, sharing screen. Cool. All right. Here we go. Like, why? I, I, okay, it's not whimsy, but those first few notes kind of sounded whimsy, right? This guy's awesome, though. What a hero this dude is. What? I don't even know what that other mask is. Uh, that other mask seems bad. Now is not the time for health happiness. We need to stay healthy and safe. How horrible is that, right? And, and, and I mean, so this guy, what this guy is up against, I mean, like th this is where it gets really crazy. What this guy is up against is a bunch of m mystical beliefs. Like you think our anti-vaxxers are bad. Um, and they are bad. Like, I'm, I'm not trying to downplay that. Um, a thing that I saw today as I'm scanning here. Yeah, boom. Here we go. Not a COVID cure. Let's, let's go full screen on this again. Yeah, doctors warn against using cow dung as COVID-19 cure. Uh, for those of you not watching but listening... We have a group of Indian men who are standing, covering a combination of cow dung and cow urine. Uh, I, it says cow dung and urine. I'm assuming it's cow urine. Uh, and juxtapose these two things. You think our anti-vaxxers are bad. They have a stronger variant of COVID. This is kicking around as a concept, as crazy as our right-wingers are. They're not doing this, right? We see Corona warriors. Even doctors come here. Their belief is that this therapy improves immunity. 
and they can go and tend to patients with no fear. I mean, as per the literature, okay, you probably can hear that. Yeah, uh, don't put cow dung on yourself. Um, so, and, and again, I, I am not trying to talk about that as like a ha 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 Trumpy, let us laugh at them sort of way. But uh, this is what's going on in India. And to take this just one step further here, Google, let's go and see. Um, coronavirus, coronavirus, uh, I don't, don't want to get sued by, uh, what's her name? Uh, clearly, clearly hip and with the times, um, coronavirus, Johns Hopkins, boom. So I'm going to get this back up on the screen here. All right. Loading it back up. India rapidly catching up to the United States. And the death count rapidly catching up. The United States now at 582,000 deaths, uh, which is pretty, pretty stunning. Um However, India is, of course, the one that is just being clobbered by this right now uh, with no with no real sign of abatement um, at present. Let's get those India numbers up. Now, the India flare up is interesting because it certainly begs the question of. OK, India has flared up in a massive way. Why has China not flared up? They are not vaccinated. Their air quality is not great. They know this. I I, I mean, I, there is this, oh, well, they're wearing masks sort of stuff. But I, I think I think we now all are sort of like educated as like what the limits of what that really means. Like you cannot have an open society and have people on top of people masked or not masked. Like there, there's a real limit to what masks can do for you um in this sense uh, do we just not want to work I, I, that would be sad I, I would love to be able to talk about india for the people do you do you want you don't want to talk about india for the people that's fine i'm talking to the website i, I just want to make it clear to everyone listening that i'm having a conversation with the website right now that that's that's where i'm at that that's that's what's happening in my life these days um India, come on, man. Just load. Just be a Johnny Cool guy and load up the the friggin' thing. It doesn't want to do it. Um, let's just try one more thing. Because I, I do like want to actually look at the coronavirus in India numbers. Yeah. COVID desperation is spreading across India is the current uh, number. Now, they're documented cases right now. We're talking about India here. The documented cases are around 400,000 a day. It seems to have plateaued off, but like the spike here is prodigious. Um, they went from maybe kind of maybe having a problem in March to having an absolute explosion on their hand by May. Uh, and this is the thing that i think the united states needs to be mindful of um i have we have a decent chunk of the population vaccinated now right that's fantastic um how much of the population joe biden flubbed up the other day and said something like 230 million people it's actually 230 million shots i believe 
um, what percentage uh, United States population vaccinated um, as of 6 a.m. on May 10th 115 million Americans have been fully vaccinated, or about 34.8% of the country's population, according to the CDC. That is fantastic news. That is also not enough to help really get us immune from COVID-19. There are still people operating under the errant belief that if you've had COVID already, you don't need to get the vaccine. Uh, I, I know a number of people of that. So the right-wingers who went out and got COVID and had the not bad COVID, they think COVID's not bad. And therefore, they're not going to get the vaccine because they're like, well, COVID wasn't bad for me. Maybe I'm a not bad COVID person. And thusly, I don't need the vaccine. However, it's not entirely clear that's going to be the case. As we know with now with India, as I read the copy, we know now, I learned through reading an article during this session here, the India mutation is a triple mutation. Triple. Triple. Well, we'll go German triple. Uh, we can go standard triple. It doesn't matter. I, I find German triple more comfortable. I don't know about you. Um, but anyways, you have this triple mutation and... I, the vaccine might, I'm vaccinated. It might not even hold up for me. So we're over here on this show talking about get ready, get your shots now because you're going to need your booster shot at some point. This trouble mutation is no joke and it might affect things. Meanwhile, you've got right-wingers in this country thinking, well, I've already gotten once because I was adult. Uh, again, yes, COVID-19 has been going through the country pretty heavily. However, our numbers have been higher than the rest of the world. Why? Because people have been dumb. But also, like, it means that we're more likely to get have another flare up again. Um, we're we're just not that clever uh, about this stuff. And in the case of India, there are a lot more people this time. There is not going to be this great Indian government lockdown like that uh i don't anticipate modi shutting down the airports in india and so long as flights can still go out of india and into countries that's going to be a problem um and so long as indian people can still fly out of india that's going to be a problem um yeah it's it's going to be a real challenge um the states currently with the highest and lowest vaccination rates since we are here. Um, right now, you have... This is where it actually gets kind of interesting. So you have Washington State um, is 50%. These, these are partially vaccinated. Okay, partially vaccinated. And when was, when was this published? May 10th. Okay, okay. So partial vaccinations, which is promising, right? Like, People who are partially vaccinated, very likely to get vaccinated, right? Like to get fully vaccinated. So in Texas, it's 40%. In Oklahoma, 40%. Kansas, 44%. Nebraska, 45%. South Dakota, 46%. North Dakota, 40%. They are just committed to doing it wrong in North Dakota. Idaho, Idaho, 35%. They're like, no, you think North Dakota is doing it wrong? We are going to do it really wrong. Uh, meanwhile, down Mississippi, they said, Idaho, go and suck on your potatoes. We're doing it 32%. Uh, like they, they do not need this vaccine. This vaccine was stupid. What a waste of time. New Mexico, 53%. California, 52%. The vaccination rates are an interesting map to correspond politically. So here's one that the Democrats need to watch out for. Georgia, 37%. Uh, uh, that's not great. And this is like as of May 10, according to the CDC. Virginia, 50%. Pennsylvania, 53%. Good sign for Joe Biden, electorally speaking. Minnesota, 50%. Also a good sign for Joe Biden, electorally speaking. 
Uh, I, I, as the vaccine uh, and COVID-19, the more the vaccine and COVID-19 remains a part of the culture war and the Republicans are on the stupid side of the culture war on that issue, the better it is for Joe Biden. Um, however, you know, there are other states where you, you maybe would hope that the Democrats would be doing better. Nevada, 42 uh, percent. That, that's one that seems to hurt. Texas, 40 percent. That's probably where you'd, you'd expect it. If you're a Democrat, you'd hope that'd be higher. Maine, meanwhile, 57 percent. Maine, what a fine state. New Hampshire, 58 percent. Vermont, 62 percent. Massachusetts, 51 percent. Connecticut, 58%. I I think you're starting to hear in these numbers, yeah, there is indeed a left-right divide. And that makes sense. It's been the core of the culture war. Uh, But yes, Nevada uh, and South Carolina, really interesting. Uh, Really, really interesting. I'm sorry, Nevada and Georgia. And I guess South Carolina. South Carolina was once a battleground state. Not when Jamie Harrison's running in it, though. Uh, but yeah, th- this is interesting numbers. Um, the horrible stories coming out of India still. Uh, amid India's COVID-19 surge, dozens of dead bodies found floating in the Ganges River. Uh, I, my city is under siege from COVID. COVID desperation spreading across India. Uh, I mean, 4,000 die of COVID in India. Yeah, um, that's yesterday uh, and, and they still continue to think that the covid numbers are being vastly underreported in india and if the va- if the numbers are being vastly underreported the global risk factor continues to be vastly underestimated so these are not these are small seemingly i i don't even think they're small seeming but you get what i'm saying like they might seem like sort of trivial ish lies but they're absolutely not trivial ish lies because when kind of considered by governments and go they go oh well the problem is x well it's actually 4x whatever that whatever the number x is that makes a vast vast difference so yeah i don't think we're out of the woods yet i think if you have not gotten vaccinated yet you should go and get vaccinated do check your state some states are safer than other states um if you're in the right state, like if you're in Maine right now, 57%, you can feel pretty good about returning to life like normal. I, I I mean, I would, of course, respect wearing a mask or whatever in whatever building or facility, but I, I'll be honest, I'd be respecting it. I would be like, you know, we live in a COVID world right now, and given the vaccination rates, and I'm part of that vaccinated posse. I feel pretty good about life. Um, you know, it's the difference of, you know, three out of five people versus two out of five people, um, which is a big, big difference. Uh, meanwhile, one out of three people in some of these states, yikes. And Joe Biden thinks that he's doing a really great job here. I, I mean, yes, it's good that there's been a rollout of vaccine. However, you look at these numbers and, it's enough to keep those people safe, but he's still the president of everyone in the country, even the dolts, even the dolts we have been trying to reach for a very long time now. Joe Biden has been the president of them, said that he wanted to be the president of all the people, even the dolts. And his responsibility then and his question then as the president, and, and like, I think it's a right and good question. I know that I'm being sort of mocking in my tone here, admittingly, admittedly, but his project here at this point is how do you get the vaccine into the arms of the people who don't want the vaccine and slash or how do you steward the country in a way such that those people are safe somehow? And I don't think there's a great answer for that. Uh, I mean, the, the answer is, what if those people just did their goddamn part? Okay, well, they're not going to. We, You know that. I know that. We all know that. Um, but if they did their part, that would solve part of our problem here. Here's the other thing to worry about. The big reopening innings. Um, Texas is now 100% open, baby. Uh, and like, look, 
I'm not unexcited about that on some level. I think it's stupid. I think it's so advised. I think, yes, the numbers in the United States are low right now. Yes, people are vaccinated right now. But I also get this deep, and perhaps it's unjustified. I'd love to be wrong on this one. I get this sense of it's not safe to go back in the water yet, like it's Jaws. When you start looking at the vaccination rates in some of these states, oh, okay, the COVID-19 numbers are low right now. Cool. Cool. Um, But our protocols that we have been doing, the, the, the way that people have been doing masks, has actually not been sufficient thus far. Um, I mean, and how do I say that? What, where am I getting that from? I mean that from the fact that like, we're still the world theater in COVID-19 cases. India is catching up, but the United States with a fraction of the population had like the worst outbreak by a lot of this COVID-19 stuff. Now, could other countries be fudging the numbers? Sure. Absolutely. And, and, and I think it's entirely possible and actually, frankly, probably entirely likely that different countries, if you had a real estimation of where their numbers really were at, you'd see, yeah, they they actually, you know, performed proportionally just as bad or probably worse than us. But we, we sit at the top of the leaderboard. We're number one, baby. Um, so... With that, like, you know, the Democrats and the Republicans are like, I did good. No, I did good. No, no, you did good. You both did terrible. You're, you're both idiots. Uh, if you guys were doing good, uh, I mean, I'm talking about a state level. Like, if Gavin Newsom was doing good, then he'd be doing well. Um, I mean, if you take the most coronavirus numbers in the states with the most population, it basically lines up. Um the outlier, as far as I recall, was Florida with DeSantis. DeSantis in Florida, yes, they're the fifth overall, but they proportionally have had more coronavirus cases than their population, so they've actually outperformed their population in that sense. But if any of these states were any good, you'd expect them to be like down in the leaderboard, some sort of trade-off or whatever, and that didn't happen in any of these states. Um, so, No. Like we suck. We like we didn't do a good job. Like we we didn't we didn't lock down when we actually needed to lock down. Uh, states started to try to reopen restaurants and that sort of thing, and we're like, oh, this is going to be fine, but it wasn't fine. We have exhibited absolutely no ability to get a lid on outbreaks. Uh, Joe Biden's approach to the winter was what? It's going to be a dark winter. Ooh, cool. Um, and now that you have governors like DeSantis, like uh, Abbott, um, a number of these governors trying to lift mask mandates and sort of move on from the mask era of living, if and when the stronger coronavirus comes back around, and, you know, again, it's only going to come back stronger. It's not like the mutations are going to mutate coronavirus into a corner where it kills itself. Like, that's not what's going to happen with COVID. COVID is... That it may run out of mutations, but right now, if it comes back around, and it very likely will, it will be coming back around with greater gusto. Um, and the United States strategy at this point is just pretend that that's not going to happen and hope that that's not going to happen. Uh, I had a friend. Here's a good place for me to end this. Uh, unless someone calls in to open lines here, a proud and noble and beloved don't worry about the government tradition which uh surely will be uh kept going here for many more episodes uh especially in, in this format god love an impromptu monologue all right so the last thing that i wanted to talk about here is a conservative friend uh i i, I mean i still have him but 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 i was talking to my conservative friend uh, about Joe Biden. And I said that I can't stand his relentless optimism. Uh, that drives me crazy. And that a sustaining critique on the show is the relentless optimism. And my friend's like, oh, well, all, all the pundits I listen to say that he's very morose. That, that you know, uh, you know, we might not be able to reopen again until July 4th. Uh, he didn't mention this, but I'm sure he would have mentioned Fauci talking about seasonal masking and all this sorts of stuff. And 
I'm going, you think that's morose? I it's heinously optimistic. Seasonal masking. Fauci is talking about this like we're through the woods. Uh, at, at this point, seasonal masking is something you talk about when the global pandemic has flared down. Uh, because absent that, Rona's just going. Rona just goes. We had how many ways last year? Three. So I, I guess it doesn't go every season, but it goes and it can go in different seasons. Um, he is probably right, Fauci, this is, uh, not my friend, uh, but Fauci is probably right to say that there will eventually be a point where the coronavirus settles in as more of a seasonal thing and a seasonal flare-up, and you have to be mindful of that, the seasonal mutation, seasonal variant of COVID-19. Um, uh, but the message out of Fauci really should be something like, masks are here to stay. Uh, like, we are in a mask society at this point now um, and for the foreseeable future, uh, at least until the coronavirus tamps down to a, a point. Because the Spanish flu, like, essentially what happened is the virus petered out. Uh, at some point. And, and when I mean petered out, I mean, it stopped. Like, they, the, the virus stopped. Like, it, it was gone for many years. Uh, th there, there were returns of, you know, obviously, Spanish flu. It's not the end. COVID-19. Hi. How you doing? Uh, but, like, it, it, it ended. Um, when that happens, yeah, we can go back to a massless society. But Fauci's selling that. Like, they think of that as, oh, well, it's so bleak. I think of that as that's so actually ill-timed right now you need to be telling everyone sit and strap in don't don't have these fantasy thoughts about the beach just yet um you're vaccinated that means you're safe sleep easy tonight you know go to the grocery store and don't stress too hard that when you're at the store you're, you're gonna like maybe eat or eat uh, I'm, I'm starting to get hungry when you're at the store you might catch uh, the COVID 19 right um, no, you don't have to worry about that so much now that you're vaccinated. So especially if you're wearing a mask and you're being safe when you're going in there, but be safe, uh, you know, still take safety precautions. I think Joe Biden has been really optimistic. I think Joe Biden was really optimistic about reopening schools. Remember, he's like, we need to get them open in the first hundred days. Why? For what? If you had told Joe Biden, if we, there'd been a press conference, I wish like this would be something that like a critical media would have asked him hundred days ago. Hey, Joe Biden, thank you for doing this press conference. I think he's only done a couple of these, but or maybe ask Jen Psaki this. If there, the, the global numbers of COVID-19 went back to peak level global numbers, would the United States still want to move ahead with reopening? And the answer from this administration most assuredly would have been no, uh, if you had actually pushed them on that. Um, but that is, in fact, what is happening. Um, this is clearly bad policy. It's optimistic policy. So, you know, that was another example to my friend that was like, oh, this is an optimistic thing that Joe Biden is doing. Um, Joe Biden, even when it comes to vaccinations, he was saying that gaffe of his, this is, I, no, no, like, don't, don't kill the man. I don't, this is not mental decline. He's just, he just got, he said, oh, you know, we've got 203 million people with doses. No, you have 110 million people who are fully vaccinated um, and perhaps a few more of them, you know, 10, 15 million more, maybe 20 million more who are partially vaccinated. But I mean, think about it. it. Most of these vaccines, the Johnson and Johnson one's not been nearly as prevalent. So it's been like all Pfizer and Moderna. Those are two shots apiece. If he says 230 million and you've got 110 people fully vaccinated, the leftovers are only 10 to 15 million people, maybe, maybe 20 million people. If you want to be generous, um, you know, he's still got a lot of work to do in terms of getting people vaccinated. Um, but they, he flubs the numbers and he flubs them optimistically. He thinks that he's got this work more or less done. I, I think he's very optimistic. Um, I think he's very optimistic, of course, when it comes to the Republicans and them coming to their senses. The fever will break. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I, I, let, me, let me pull up a quote from 2019 here. Here's. Here's sunny optimism Joe Biden. Sunny optimism Joe Biden says, 
the fever will break. Quote, the thing that will fundamentally change with Donald Trump out of the White House, not a joke, is you will see an epiphany occur among many of my Republican friends. That was nearly two years ago to the day, May 15th, 2019. Uh, the people who I used to say, no, you will see, this will not come to pass. Uh, they used to give me a hard time. It's why I did not support Joe Biden back then. It's why I still am not a uh, Joe Biden stan right now. Um, this is where we're going. He still really earnestly believes this stuff. That's optimism, man. Um, that is relentless, relentless optimism. Um, I don't know what you call. Actually, I do know what you call putting Rahm Emanuel as the ambassador to Japan. It's something that Rom would say, though, and I probably shouldn't say it on the air. It's, it's not in good taste. Um, but a, a certain Rom quote about how he feels about people like me, liberals and progressives, uh, comes to mind uh, with regards to Rahm Emanuel going back into the administration here. No, I, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see the serious conservative press settle in on Joe Biden is morose. Joe Biden's not being optimistic enough. Whereas uh, I was, I guess I wish Joe Biden was being a little bit more conservative in his approach. Uh, so anyways, that's where I am coming from on the news of the day here uh, on open lines. It has been about an hour, unfortunately. And, uh, we did not have anyone join me. I, I really wish I had kind of captured the absolute chaotic mayhem of the first round of open lines. Because, uh, my God, people, that first round of open lines, like when I put up the original call, it was like, I mean, it, it was it was just absolute madness. I don't know why I stopped the video there. That, that, was, that was silly. That, that didn't need to happen. Um, but, yeah. That's going to do it for this episode of Don't Worry About the Government. Uh, for those of you who maybe feel like this is a down episode, I had to wing this monologue on the fly. I feel like, all things considered, given that I really went top of head here and, and sometimes like pull the copy and read the copy and make a show happen, that's what it would sound like if I did it like that every episode. So maybe... That's a way of using this episode. It's like when you hear me and I go like, oh, I prep these shows, right? I mean, I do. Uh, you, you can hear the difference when I'm super familiar with what I'm reading and then I've like actually spent a few hours prepping it and looked over the copy and made highlights and edits and all that stuff. It, it, the segments roll faster, especially in those monologue shows. But that's the way it goes sometimes. It's all right. Live radio. Oh, man. Back in the day... I tried to do live radio on this thing called in your face radio and it was like a streaming service thing and it sucked. It was, it was really, really lame. Uh, and I, I just found the whole process to be really arduous. It's why I got into podcasting and not being live and you know, editing and stuff is cool too. It allows me to be kind of artistic. I like using, you know, delays and weird effects and, all sorts of things in the recordings. I think it makes for a different show. Anyways, that's going to do it for Don't Worry About the Government. Don't Worry About TV is the homepage. Patreon.com slash DWATG is where you can go to support the show. Uh, we will be doing the Aliens, uh, friggin' Aliens Man uh, AV Club. It's going to be on Phenomenon and also Unidentified. So go and sub up um, if you want to participate in the AV club and I'll get you into the, I guess it's now another benefit with membership is you now get included in the great, don't worry about the government panelist group. So you can chat with pretty much anyone who's involved with don't worry about the government. Uh, I mean, Joe Drilling, Joey Insider, Brian Halverson, Lindsey Duke, Dan, uh, Doug, they're all there. All your, even, even Cody, they're all there. I mean, they're all there. And so is Cody. 
Um, so that's another perk of membership at patreon.com slash DWATG at DWATG to follow the show. And don't forget about guitar lessons. You can be rocking and rolling like a true rocking and rolling rock and roller. So wouldn't that be a neat thing to do? My name is Chris Dombrino. I want to thank you all so much for listening. And remember to call in the next time we do the open line show. Uh, otherwise, open lines as a concept may be getting revisited as a concept, is all I'm saying. So next time we do one of these open line shows and I do the announcement and I put the announcement up on Twitter, uh, if you could, if you would, please make sure to participate because these shows can only be as good as you all make them. Uh, I want to thank you all so much for listening. Until the next one, bye-bye. Bye-bye.